Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. We're on every weekday during this 43rd Ontario election campaign. Today on the pod, the Liberals make a pitch for tenants, the New Democrats talk home care, the New Blue Party unveils its platform to appeal to a more conservative audience, and this being Friday, the Queen's Park Observer's Sabrina Nanji joins us for her take on the campaign. It's Friday, May 13th, 2022, day 10 of the campaign, so let's get to it. And as we do every Friday, let's welcome Sabrina Nanchi from the Queen's Park Observer. Sabrina, good to see you again. How are you managing? Uh, hanging in there, you know, 20 days out. Uh, feels like it's been a lifetime, but happy it's Friday. You sound exhausted already. My goodness, young woman, how can you be so exhausted already? This is a fantastic campaign. Lots of good stuff happening. <laughs> I don't know. You know, some some folks have been saying it's been a little boring so far. And I think, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of you know, a bit of a yawn fest for me too, but I'm looking forward to next week. Lots to talk about and lots to wrap up from this week. You know, uh, candidate drama, debates coming up. So slow and steady. Right. Okay. Let's dive in because there was nothing boring about this story you broke uh, earlier this week, which was the so-called 901 Club. Why don't you explain to us what the 901 Club is and why it ought to be of concern to the leader of the official opposition? Yeah, so essentially the the knives are already coming out, you know, uh, Andrea Horvath, longtime NDP leader, there's this growing movement uh, in, in, in the grassroots in her party. And actually, I've, I've talked to a few more since the story's been published, uh, that essentially, you know, the minute polls close at 9pm on June 2nd, if Andrea Horvath does not take the premier seat, or worse, you know, loses some ground as official opposition, uh, the pressure is going to be on for her to step aside, uh, you know, uh, this uh, this is something that uh, Andrea Horvath kind of brushed off when I tried to ask her about it this week. You know, she didn't quite directly address it. I didn't really expect her to. Of course, we're smack dab in the middle of a campaign uh, and, you know, it, it, like no one really wants to, uh, you know, acknowledge that there might be some insurgents in, in her own camp. But of course, you know, this really can't be ignored from what I'm hearing from new Democrats right now. Uh, Andrea Horvath tends to be pretty popular among her her own uh, crew. You know, she's won a resounding endorsement uh, in, during one of the leadership reviews earlier this year. Her party does that regularly. She got 85%, you know, a pretty solid showing. Uh, she tends to even poll publicly more popular than her own NDP party. So I, I think, you know, there's a lot of factors at play here, but a, a lot of people aren't really happy with how uh, the campaign is going so far and some of the handling of nomination drama, some candidate controversies. Uh, and, and they're laying that at Andrea Horvath's feet. And essentially what I'm hearing is we can't win with her at the helm. And so people are already preparing to essentially uh, knife her. But when if they, if they don't do so hot on June 2nd, and of course, you know, that's kind of what the polls are suggesting with all the caveats. You know, the only poll that matters is the one on Election Day. And I think at the end of the day, this could end up galvanizing some some dippers. Uh, if you're hearing that, you know, Andrea Horvath is, uh, you know, 
potentially at risk here. If you're hearing that the conservatives and the liberals are leading in the polls, then, you know, it might help get out the vote. So it's still early days. But I think for a lot of people, Andrea Horvath's days are, are numbered uh, and uh, they're, they're already kind of preparing for this in the wings. Well, let's remind everybody here that when they play the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's not a best of three, it's a best of seven. And we are literally at the best of three stage right now. So there's a lot more campaign still to come. And while we're on this topic, uh, we should wish her a happy anniversary. She was elected for the first time ever as an MPP on this date in 2004. So there we go. John Michael, over to you. The other big issue for the week, I think, uh, fair to say, is the the Liberal Party's woes with, uh, you know, uh, having to turf some of its candidates right before the deadline. Uh, the party will now not uh, put a full slate uh, of candidates before uh, voters this election. Uh, the most recent uh, example being raised by the New Democrats is uh, Noel Semple, the Liberal candidate in Etobicoke Centre. Uh, in 2004, he wrote uh, for the U of T student newspaper uh, against raising uh, $25,000 to support an LGBTQ group. Uh, he's quoted as saying, you're here, you're queer, we got used to it a long time ago, go find your 25,000 elsewhere, uh, saying that, uh, you know, writing rather in 2004 that uh, LGBTQ people uh, were not uh, needy or a victimized subset of society, so they didn't need this this uh, funding. Uh, Stephen Del Duca was asked about this by the Toronto Star's Rob Ferguson at an appearance in Scarborough this morning. Uh, here is part of his response. I've been crystal clear on these issues. I'm not aware of the particular, the particular passage that you're talking about, but we'll be happy to review it, take a look at it. Uh, and uh, and have a conversation a little bit later today. And then uh, later on Friday, uh, the Liberals did put out a statement uh, fully backing Semple and uh, trying to uh, almost shame the NDP for their attacks on him. So, Sabrina, do the Liberals have a vetting problem? This is the fourth candidate uh, of concern, you could call it. Uh, Three others have been kicked off the ballot already. I mean, certainly it's raising those questions about what's going on with the vetting process. Uh, you know, uh, Noel Semple is just one person here. And of course, I think, you know, maybe they have a bit more of a shot at, at winning that seat in Etobicoke Center, though, from what I'm hearing, the current rep, you know, conservative Kinga Surma is actually pretty well liked over there. But uh, in, in the other ridings where they've had to get rid of some of their candidates or, you know, bring in a, a so-called parachute candidate from someone who, who's not really from that area, uh, they, they basically had a snowball chance in hell I hope I can say that <laughs> of, of winning you there did. you know and well and, and you know it's it's it does raise questions but at the end of the day we're talking about inside baseball here and these types of uh you know, uh, this, these types of scandals, so-called scandals that come out, you know, uh, with the help of opposition party researchers unearthing some dirt on social media, it usually comes out like closer to election day. I don't know if this is going to stick to the liberals, uh, but it's certainly raising a lot of eyebrows about the vetting process. And I mean, I I think, you know, covering nomination contests, regardless of if it's, you know, inside baseball, uh, it's important because it's arguably the gateway to our democracy, especially provincial and federally. We have political parties uh, that, that dominate. So of course, you know, it's not impossible to win as an independent, but having a party behind you, certainly, you know, resources, there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, leg up that you get there. And so at the end of the day, nomination contests aren't run like general elections. Uh, political parties are essentially private entities. They can, uh, they don't even really need to tell us why they've red lit or green lit a candidate. Uh, they can decide whoever they want uh, can, can carry their banner. 
manner for them. But it's just the way that this has come out. Uh, it's really not a good look for Stephen Del Duca and, and the liberals here. Uh, you know, back when he took the leadership uh, just two years ago, he was saying that he wanted to nominate 100 candidates just months after taking the party helm. Of course, the pandemic kind of derailed some of that. But uh, it, it certainly puts you at a disadvantage not having a candidate at all on the ticket to vote for or also, you know, uh, a short amount of time to go door knock, have people in the riding get to know you. Uh, and I, I think we've talked before about the new blue party, the conservative uh, spinoff there that had 124 candidates, which regardless of how you feel about their politics, is an impressive feat for a startup party and, and something the liberals can't do. Uh, I, I think it's kind of funny because this, this was happening at the same time the, uh, you know, I guess former education minister, Stephen Lecce, uh, candidate over in Vaughn, you know, uh, was called out for participating in a frat slave auction event, you know, back when he was a student at Western. And I think Ford, you know, he, he, was he he didn't come and speak to it you know initially on the day that this all broke but he kind of came out winning the whole caucus management thing here which he hasn't been so great at in the past you just need to look across the aisle to see all the MPPs who had crossed the floor or got kicked out and Ford isn't your typical party establishment politician he's Ford Nation he marches to the beat of his own drum not necessarily the PC parties uh, and uh, he he kind of tried to quash this and not give it oxygen more negative headlines I think uh, you know he stood by Stephen Lecce said it's something that happened years ago when he was a student. He's apologized. It shouldn't detract from his anti-racism work on the education file. Uh, so I think that some of the way this has come out uh, is certainly raising questions about Stephen Del Duca's leadership. Uh, I think, you know, it took me five minutes to find uh, the their guy in uh, in Perry Sound, Muskoka, you know, of course, conservative territory uh, to, to find out this this baseless theory that he had written a book about, you know, rebreathing causes homosexuality in babies. Like, what is there? Like, what is the candidate vetting team doing there? And for Del Duca to say, you know, I wasn't aware about this. I'll look into it. Uh, you know, from what I've been hearing from liberal insiders, the leader's office has a very heavy hand and, and is very involved in candidate nominations. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, this is inside baseball. I'm not sure if beyond those ridings, this is going to be much ammo for the opposition critics. If this will last, you know, we're still a couple of weeks out till E-Day, but not a good look. Bad optics, I'd say. Well, the, the, there is the old expression, if you can't run your party, how are you going to run the province? And, and you know, some people believe that. On the other hand, and, you know, I should talk to both you guys. I should get both you guys on this because uh, you're, you're both considerably younger than me and you know in my generation if you if you said or did some damn fool thing when you were a kid uh, you didn't do it on social media because we didn't have social media and therefore when all those kids grew up to be candidates uh, there was no digital footprint uh, that future vetters could look at uh, to see uh, what kind of stupid thing you did um, Sabrina, your generation does not have that luxury uh, when uh, and John Michael I guess yours too to a certain extent when in your younger days you guys said whatever you wanted and it was on social media and it's there forever and now we're finding out this this kid in uh, chatham kent leamington uh who who said some you know pretty stupid things but he was a teenager when he said them and i don't know i think it raises some interesting questions about whether going forward these things um ought to be as fatal as they are to a candidate's prospects uh because um you know my hunch is there's not a single millennial who hasn't said some damn fool stupid thing on social media somewhere along the way that isn't going to trip them up 10 or 15 or 20 years later. Discuss. Well, if I could jump in there, I think, you know, 
one question I have is whether in a million years we would ever see the standard of uh, charity that I think you're uh, arguing for, Steve, whether we'd ever see that standard actually applied uni- universally, because, of course, you know, uh, it, it, you could have a, a young uh, person who grew up to be a liberal candidate say something, um, you know, homophobic on Facebook and, and, you know, grow up to regret that, of course. Um, but at the same time, I don't imagine liberals would give a pass to somebody like Sam Oosterhoff, who uh, also, uh, you know, expressed uh, very, very conservative opinions uh, on Facebook. And those opinions were used against him uh, when he was uh, first running uh, as an MPP. I think there's probably a lesson here for future politicians. Uh, you know, be careful what you tweet or post on Facebook. But I, I think also like with delete the po- everything, <laughs> just delete everything. Yeah. <laughs> but the but the political parties, though, I I kind of wish they made it uh, a bit more consistent or transparent in how they're making these decisions. Uh, like I had a, a story a while back about a, a young person, 18, who wanted to run for the NDP in Eglinton Lawrence. Which, just as a quick aside, I'm hearing from conservative insiders that. It's actually one spot where they're a little more uh, worried about not being able to keep that seat currently held by by Robin Martin. Uh, and so it's certainly competitive. And of course, you know, the opposing parties want to put a high profile candidate there. And so there was a lot of questions about why this 18 year old um, young person, you know, who uh, aren't, I guess, generally speaking, you know, um, uh, so involved as polit- in politics, uh, but they they basically disqualified him as a candidate, saying that he had uh, liked a tweet that referred to the premier as a murderer. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, maybe that's not completely appropriate, but to completely disqualify him for that reason, uh, you know, I, I guess just make it make sense for me. You'd think that the NDP as as opposition, I think it was a, a long term care tweet that they might even like something like that. Uh, you know, it. it uh, but but that's just it. Like it, it's, it hasn't been compli- applied consistently. And like I said, this is kind of like, uh, you know, your foot in the door to democracy, because, of course, representation matters. Uh, and I think the more we dig into the nomination contest and, you know, shed some light on these processes, maybe it will force the parties to be a little more open, transparent and, and democratic about it and kind of give everyone a bit of a leg up. Because, of course, if you can't win the nomination, how are you going to win the seat? Uh, so... At the end of the day, beware of what you tweet, I think, is the lesson here in all of it. Uh, the last topic uh, before we let you go, Sabrina, uh, we had the Northern debate uh, this week. Uh, we have uh, the uh, televised leaders debate uh, uh, hosted, of course, uh, in our own studios at TVO uh, on Monday. Uh, what uh, what did you take from the Northern leaders debate and, and what are you looking forward to on Monday? Yeah, I thought the the Northern debate, I don't know how many people were paying attention on a Tuesday at 1 p.m. Uh, so I, I think, you know, it'll be it'll be great to watch the the one on Monday night, you know, prime time, uh, of course. But I think that one kind of turned into a little bit of Ford versus Del Duca with Andrea Horvath trying to get in her jabs when she could, which was a little surprising to me. Uh, you know, obviously, the NDP has strong representation in the north. She got the loudest cheers, uh, but it was kind of clear like who Ford was uh, ticked off by. I think we could see him like, you know, visibly upset when he was getting questioned on the pandemic and that sort of thing. Uh, and so what I'm going to be looking for on, on Monday night uh, is uh, Stephen Del Duca trying to rebrand himself and define himself as, you know, new face, new leader. Here's a favorable light trying to get away from some of that, uh, you know, previous liberal rulers baggage. You know, we, we keep hearing his opponents refer to the win Del Duca liberal 
Eagles. Uh, I think we're going to see Andrea Horvath try to position herself as government in waiting, uh, while Ford will be framing himself as a steady hand that can, you know, steer the province into post-pandemic recovery. I think it will be interesting to see if you guys can get, uh, or, or you, Steve, get uh, Ford off of his talking points. But at the end of the day, I think it, Ford kind of... Um, uh, does better or, you know, he does actually not terribly when he's off the cuff a little bit. I think we saw that, you know, when uh, the drama with the MPP allowances came out, uh, he said, you know, this is, uh, these are the rules uh, with his his uh, his members having to, or dipping into party coffers essentially to pay for things like entertainment and childcare, which, you know, is, is not a great look, but it's not illegal. And that's kind of not Ford's brand, you know, he's all about like saving taxpayers money, making sure uh, you know, not uh, not using it for your for your own benefit if you're the politician, I guess. And so that that seemed to kind of throw him a little bit this week. Uh, he has been very scripted. I know you guys have pointed out, but this also kind of provides an opportunity for his critics to say, like, look, he he can't, you know, uh, he can't speak to any of these issues without reading from his notes. Uh, he's scripted. There he goes again. So this uh, that that could backfire on him. But I also think. It's almost a little endearing sometimes. Uh, Ford, during the Northern debate, had a line where he said, you didn't build absolutely nothing. And I think, you know, Twitter kind of went a little uh, crazy on that. It's not the, the most well-phrased. It's kind of an awkward statement. But, you know, making fun of the premier for that, I think, kind of ends up working out in his favor. Uh, you know, he's just a regular guy. And and I think at the end of the day, my sleeper pick is, is Mike Schreiner, who, uh, you know, is going to be on the debate stage for the first time as a Green. Uh, uh, and I think we'll see him put up strong accountability messages. He'll be clear and unequivocal, which we saw uh, in the Northern debate. But again, he kind of um, is in a position to do that because it's a very long shot that he would form government. So I'll uh, I'll be there and I'll be eating my proverbial popcorn. Thank you, Sabrina. That was Sabrina Nanji from Queen's Park Observer, who will be joining us every Friday until Election Day, June the 2nd. You take care and we'll uh, probably see you Monday night. Thanks, guys. Okay, moving on. As we mentioned, JMM, Stephen Del Duca was in Scarborough earlier today pitching tenants on why they should vote for him. Want to give us some of the bullet points? Right. Uh, so the main uh, promise that the Liberals have made in their uh, platform for renters is that they would uh, reimpose rent control on all uh, rental buildings in Ontario. Uh, this is an issue that has bounced around a little bit um, under uh, Ontario law. Uh, the current uh, Residential Tenancies Act dates back to uh, the NDP government, I believe. Uh, they imposed rent control. The Harris government then exempted any new rentals built after uh, a certain year. I think it might have been 1995. It might have been a bit later. I, I apologize. I wasn't able to double check that. Um, that exemption stayed in place through almost all of the uh, Liberal Party's tenure in power. So uh, more than 20 years uh, from uh, Mike Harris to uh, 2017, when Kathleen Wynne uh, uh, ended that exemption and uh, rent control uh, then applied to all units in the province. Then in 2018, uh, the Tories won and Doug Ford's government exempted all units that were occupied for the first time after November of 2018. So 
you know, we're now four years later, thousands of new rental units in the province uh, are now effectively uh, unregulated as far as rent control is concerned. Uh, you know, and this is one of the big clear differences between uh, the uh, progressive parties, the opposition parties, and the progressive conservatives. Uh, the NDP, the Liberals, and the Greens uh, have all stated in their campaign platforms that they would reimpose rent control on uh, all units in the province. On the NDP campaign front today, Andrea Horvath was in Chatham-Kent in southwestern Ontario discussing home care. One of the things that we've talked about here uh, is that with a number of different initiatives, a number of different bits of help, we can make sure that, that seniors can stay at home in their homes longer. The New Democrats would offer a billion-dollar investment beginning with $235 million in the first year. A seniors' property tax deferral program is also in place in their program. Uh, this would be reimbursed when the homeowner sells their place. They would introduce a safety grant to help cover the cost of things changes needed in the homes to make the homes safer, and a caregiver benefit uh, would be in place as well if the NDP were to form government to give caregivers $400 to help with expenses. This is not really a, a policy issue, but I, I have to note, I mean, the NDP seem to be trying out a different event format. Uh, this one began with Horvath uh, talking with local residents and supporters in, uh, I, I believe, somebody's yard. Um, it was a much more informal way uh, before they then proceeded to the, uh, by now, very uh, uh, tried and true, you know, stand at a podium and, you know, talk into a microphone spiel. Uh, Horvath, you know, joked about how much more she enjoyed that format. I, I am not, you know, necessarily like the target audience for this kind of thing, but I would just say that I actually found it kind of sucked a lot of the energy out of the announcement, but that is just my thing. Uh, if Horvath is finding a way to make these announcements fun for her uh, after a pretty uh, uh, grueling first week and months of announcement before that, I say go for it. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that she made a, uh, an announcement the other day, and I can't remember where it was now. It might, might have been in Paris, Ontario, uh, where she was talking about mental health, and she just sat... Uh, just sort of on chairs around a table with a group of people who were telling their stories. And I actually found that a very effective way as opposed to getting up behind the podium and making the typical announcement. I, I found that her sitting down and talking to real people about real problems and having the information emerge that way, uh, I found that to be very effective for what it's worth. So uh, let's move on here and we'll talk about the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party, that's Doug Ford, who after three days of not hearing too much from him was in Windsor today. We will stop at nothing to build the necessary infrastructure to, to support these investments. Uh, Doug Ford was talking mostly about previous investments that his government has made in the auto sector, and the PCs are uh, putting quite a major push on in southwestern Ontario because, uh, well, let's face it, the polls are looking pretty good for them there right now. Polls can change, of course, but at the moment, uh, the Conservatives look like they could potentially take some seats that they are not normally known to win in that part of the province. Right. Uh, one of the seats that the Tories are, are very clearly gunning for is Essex. This is the seat of the former MPP, uh, Taras Natashak. Uh, he is not running again, uh, and he won the seat relatively narrowly in 2018 relative to his 2014 win. So this time around, uh, the NDP have a former police officer and school trustee running for them, Ron LeClaire. Uh, they are hoping to hold that riding against a uh, PC challenge from uh, Anthony Liardi, uh, a prominent local attorney. Uh, but, you know, the Tories are pushing hard uh, both in Essex and, and around the Windsor region to pick up seats. Uh, I, I guess I'd say two things about this. One, uh, you know, you can really see the Tories uh, pushing hard on, I guess we would broadly call, you know, working class demographics, uh, you know, 
some of their uh, work with uh, Labour Minister Monty McNaughton and uh, changes to labour laws to, to be you know more amenable to labour issues. Um, but also, uh, you know, it's Windsor. Uh, the government's success in landing a bunch of major auto investments probably uh, will not hurt the Tories there. Well, if in fact that happens, right, they did make the announcement of, uh, oh, I, I don't know what, a couple of weeks back about attracting that um, EV battery manufacturing plant uh, to Windsor, Ontario, only to discover later that that deal may not happen after all uh, because of concerns by the company involved that there won't be an adequate and reliable supply of electricity to make this happen. So uh, needless to say, the Liberals have made hay out of this, saying had the Tories not neglected the grid and investments in electricity generation over the past four years, uh, this company might not be walking away. So we got to continue to keep an eye on that and see what happens there. Mike Schreiner, the leader of the Greens, was on his home turf in Guelph today making an announcement about the Ontario Disability Support Plan. That's why today I want to formally announce the Ontario Green Party's commitment to doubling social assistance rates immediately. Schreiner announced that if the Greens were to form government, and they won't, but this is what they will try to influence, they will double the ODSP rates. Um, someone currently living on ODSP lives on around $1,100 a month, and Ontario Works, that's basically Ontario's welfare program, pays $731 a month. As you can imagine, that doesn't take you very far, given what rents can be these days. Uh, the Greens would offer to index those compensation plans to the rate of inflation, and if someone makes $200 a month that gets clawed back, the Greens would then raise that ceiling to $600 a month, the idea being to incentivize people to, to go out and try and get a better job and try and make more money without um, it necessarily having an impact on losing um, your monthly compensation that they depend on. So, um, feedback on that, JMM. Well, you know, it's usually understood as a, a, a left-wing issue, a progressive issue, uh, and, you know, I think it's it's obvious why. Uh, but there are conservatives who argue for the kinds of policies that uh, Schreiner is talking about here. And, you know, I, in particular, the idea of, of raising the threshold for income clawbacks. Uh, you know, conservatives traditionally uh, wanted very uh, tight thresholds so that uh, a person wasn't uh, getting, uh, you know, an income support at the same time as they were getting uh, an income uh, from work. Um, but effectively, what these clawbacks act as is uh, a uh, a disincentive to work. And, you know, conservatives, uh, you know, I, I think of uh, an American economist named Ed Glazer, who I, I think rather powerfully made the argument that, you know, if you proposed to tax a person's, you know, income, like their, their work income at 90%, uh, conservatives would rightly say that's insane, that that is a, a, a huge disincentive to work. And yet that is what we do with something like Ontario Works. So, you know, obviously Schreiner is making this, this announcement and, and you know, I think we can fairly, you know, position the Greens as, as one of the progressive opposition parties to the conservative government. But there are conservatives out here uh, who, who sound a lot like Schreiner as well. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a regular listener to this On Poly podcast, you will know that we tend to focus mainly on the four major parties that have seats in the Ontario legislature, conservatives, New Democrats, liberals, and the one Green. However, there actually was another party that had a seat in the last legislature. They didn't get elected to that seat, but it was somebody who was elected as a progressive conservative and then was turfed from the caucus and then started their own party. I'm talking, of course, about Belinda Carajalios, who was elected in Cambridge for the Progressive Conservatives. She was removed from caucus after voting against the Reopening Ontario Act. 
otherwise known as the Lockdown Bill, and she and her husband Jim Karahalios decided, therefore, to start their own party because they thought the PCs were too mushy middle and they wanted to create a genuine conservative alternative. They have lined up 124 candidates, um, which is more than the Liberals have, as we know. They, they've lost a couple of candidates, and I believe they were the first uh, registered party in Ontario to do that, to get one candidate for all 124 ridings. Um, they say there is a need for a new voice on the right because the Ford government, in their view, just isn't conservative. And here comes their checklist of uh, things that they have been unhappy about. They blame Ford for failing to lower electricity rates, as he promised, for failing to cut taxes, as he promised, for failing to handle the pandemic well, uh, for imposing an industrial carbon tax. He said, uh, they say Ford uh, rubber-stamped, essentially, the same sex ed curriculum that the previous Kathleen Wynne government brought in, this after Ford promised to scrap it. Uh, Ford failed to get rid of the per-vote subsidy, despite promising to do it. And they have an alternative platform, the new Blue Party does, that they would like voters to consider. So, John Michael, the highlights, if you would. Uh, the new Blue Party would, if they form government, and I will say of the new blue party what you said about the greens that's not going to happen but if they were to form government uh they would tear down all the wind turbines in the province uh they would slash the regulatory burden so that uh more homes could get built uh, they want to end covid 19 vaccine mandates and instead expand early treatment for covid 19 uh, they want to rehire people in the healthcare system who were fired uh, for refusing to be vaccinated uh, they would cut the provincial portion of the hst from eight to five percent uh, they would stop what they call woke activism in the school system, uh, and they would cancel the $500 million gambling license that the Toronto Star got. Now, Jim Carhalios, he's been a guest on the agenda many times, and uh, I know him a little bit. We've talked over the years, and uh, it may be for that reason that he mentioned me in his closing remarks at his platform drop earlier this week, because the last time he was on the agenda, I asked him, Jim, you know, okay, new party, but can you really get 124 candidates? Can you get somebody to run in every riding? And he said he could, and sure enough, he did. And he mentioned at the end of the press conference, you see, Steve Pakin, we got it done. Not Doug Ford's got it done. This is really getting it done. His politics aren't going to be for everybody, uh, but Caraholios has been very influential in conservative circles. Uh, he is a low, or he was anyway, a lone voice against the carbon tax in the PC party. He had this campaign to axe the tax. Uh, he sort of uh, crossed swords with Patrick Brown, the former PC leader over that issue. Once Brown departed the scene and Ford came in, uh, Carholios was ultimately successful in convincing the PC party to drop the tax after Ford became the leader. So again, we've talked about this before, JMM. Can one person make a difference in politics? They can, and this guy did. You know, it's really going to be one of the wild cards in this election. You know, how many, uh, let's say, right-leaning voters can the new blue party siphon off from uh, Ford and the progressive conservatives? I mean, if it's enough, right, he doesn't actually have to win a seat. But if he siphons enough votes away from the progressive conservatives, you know, uh, a, a uh, new Democrat or a liberal could end up getting elected uh, in their place, uh, you know, actually... Perry Sound Muskoka is now going to be a very interesting riding to watch because the green there is is you know, had a very strong showing in the last election and now with no liberal in place, that will be worth watching. Uh, yeah, we should say that uh, Belinda Carholios is running for re-election in Cambridge, obviously as a new blue, not as a conservative. Her husband is going to run next door in Kitchener-Conestoga. Uh, that's Jim. And um, I think I've seen a poll already. You correct me if I'm wrong on this. I've seen a poll already where new blue showed up with 2% support. 
province-wide. Now, of course, they don't have 2% in every riding province-wide, which means that in some ridings, they've got nothing. But in other ridings, they might have 5 6 or 7% of the vote. And if they take it all from the progressive conservatives, you're quite right. That could affect the outcome of some races. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, <laughs> they obviously don't have the same relationship now as they did in 2018. Uh, but, of course, you know, uh, Doug Ford uh, counted... Uh, Jim Carahalios and Belinda Carahalios as allies uh, early on in his provincial political career. You know, Belinda Carahalios ended up as a, a, a candidate uh, for the Tories. And uh, frankly, I, I wonder if this ends uh, with uh, the, the New Blue Party costing the Tories a seat anywhere, if uh, Ford may come to regret the, the early uh, prominence he lent to the Carahalios, if he doesn't regret it already. <laughs> <laughs> Which he probably does. Uh, I did also want to uh, make a small correction uh, right before we uh, close off this week uh, and an apology. Uh, in uh, yesterday's episode, I was referring to the former uh, candidate uh, for the Green Party in Davenport, uh, Nafisa Alivai. Uh, as, uh, I, I used a female pronoun. Uh, Nafisa identifies as they. Uh, that was an error on my part, and I do want to apologize for that. Very good. During this writ period, we're going to do our quotes of the week on Fridays. We'll do it every Friday. We'll present one quote from each of the four major party leaders, and we'll do that immediately after we ask you to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We do love your feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. You can also shoot us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. We also want to remind you to read our weekly On Poly newsletter, which drops every Tuesday. You can subscribe to that at tvo.org slash onpoly newsletter. And I guess we should remind everybody that it's going to come out a little later than normal next Tuesday because we want to, of course, uh, talk about the leaders debate, which is happening Monday night. People should watch it on TVO, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So that will be the subject of our newsletter next week. Now, here they come, the quotes of the week, starting with, as we discussed earlier, Andrea Horvath, asked by Sabrina Nanji about reports that she would be deposed as leader if the NDP loses the next election. What I can tell you, Sabrina, is uh, we have uh, several weeks left, a couple, three weeks left now, I think, of this campaign, and that's where all my focus and energy is going to be. Stephen, he, he's acknowledged that uh, it was inappropriate, and he's apologized for attending this event as a teenager. And, you know, Minister Lecce has been a strong advocate of combating racism in schools, and he has my full support. This platform meets the moment the moment that we are in, the now or never moment to address the climate crisis and ensure we set our children and grandchildren and ourselves up for future prosperity. I know our plan. I know why I'm running to be premier. I can speak about it without a script. And that's not, that's not anything more than the fact that at this moment in Ontario's history, we need leadership that sweats the details. Well, I would merely say that um, more and more people that I bump into in various places, on the street, on the subway, whatever, uh, do mention to me that they do find it somewhat odd that Doug Ford continues to use a teleprompter when uh, he makes policy announcements. Uh, you know, he's been premier for four years, and I guess I've had people ask me, why does he still need a teleprompter? And, uh, you know, sometimes we get our best show ideas, John Michael, for the agenda from just casual conversations with people on the streets or on the subway or wherever. So that's actually going to be the subject of a show that we're doing on the agenda Tuesday night, the night after the leaders debate. Tuesday night, we're going to talk about the performance skills of the four major party leaders and um, what our panel of experts think about all of that. So I hope people will tune in for that as well. 
You know, about uh, Andrea Horvath's quote there, I, I just keep thinking that, you know, she is uh, she, the, the longest lived of the political leaders uh, on uh, the stage right now. And, uh, uh, you know, she has faced down these kinds of rebellions before, uh, after the 2014 election, most notably, there was a, 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 a substantial push to uh, reconsider her leadership, let me put it that way, uh, after the disappointing uh, 2014 election. Uh, she survived that. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it will be absolutely one of those things we have to pay a lot of attention to uh, after election night, uh, unless, of course, uh, Andrew Horvath is the <laughs> premier designate, uh, in which case we have to pay attention to her for a totally different reason. <laughs> exactly right. This week's episodes were produced by Katie O'Connor, edited by Matthew O'Mara, production support from Nikki Ashworth, Albert Wisco, and Jonathan Hallowell. Sabrina, Nanji, we thank you as always for joining us on Fridays. That's day 10 of this 43rd general election campaign. JMM, have a good weekend. We'll see you on the Hustings on Monday. We'll see you on Monday, Steve.